Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. In every location, whoever's within the sound of my voice, if you're watching on Facebook Live or YouTube, wherever you are, maybe it's on a podcast a year from now, I believe that what I'm about to, to speak to you has the ability to change your life. And I wanna talk to you today about this concept of the crowd. And the crowd is interesting to me because when you look at the life of Jesus, everywhere this man went, there were crowds that would gather. And it's funny because Jesus would try to not spread the word and it's almost like the crowds would grow, right? There'd be hundreds and thousands of people that would gather around to see this man. And so today, I just wanna talk to you for a couple of minutes about three observations about Jesus in the crowd. Here's the first one. The first thing that you have to know about Jesus is that Jesus loves crowds. Jesus loves crowds. Now, I want you to think about the most captivating, compelling speakers, communicators, maybe celebrities or politicians you've ever been in the presence of. And I want you to think about those people that could hold your attention for as long as you wanted. They, they have you eating out of the palm of their hands. There's something about them, but I want you to compare them then to Jesus. And can we all agree that as amazing as they are, they pale in comparison to how masterful of a storyteller Jesus was how creative Jesus was and the way that he would take a parable and, and he would show them something they never saw before. There was nobody that could hold the attention of a crowd like Jesus Christ. Nobody that could take someone from point A to point B better than Jesus. And Jesus loves crowds. And I think if we're honest, there's a lot of people that stand in front of crowds and their motivation might be a little bit off. And it's hard not to get prideful if you speak in front of a lot of people. And if we saw our motives, sometimes they'd be a little bit ugly, but can we all agree that Jesus' motives were, they were pure. And Jesus wasn't standing in, a, in front of a crowd of 50 and taking the perfect framed picture so he could make it look like 500. That was never Jesus' goal. It wasn't so his Instagram story could look cool that day, so his Insta story could be fire that day. No, no, Jesus just loved crowds because crowds were made up of people. Jesus loves people. I want you to think about this. Heaven is a pretty crowded place. And there's gonna be a lot of people. You know what I love about Jesus? Jesus was really good at drawing people that looked nothing like Jesus and sounded nothing like Jesus. Some of our favorite musicians and politicians, they're really great at reaching people that look like them and think like them. But Jesus had this wide range of people that would be in these crowds. I mean, think about this. There would be the richest of the rich. There would be the poorest of the poor. There would be the up and in and there would be the down and out. There were people that had a squeaky clean image and, and there were people that were prostitutes and tax collectors, shady people that Jesus would associate with. As a matter of fact, they called him friend of sinners. Jesus had this knack of reaching everybody right where they were. They were all represented in the crowd. And so because heaven is a crowded place, I really believe that the church ought to be a crowded place. And I love coming off of weekends like last weekend. Everybody loves a packed house at Easter, right? That's a good thing. But more importantly, what I love is that people feel the freedom to come here and there's a welcoming spirit here. And I want you to see something. God, he made heaven a packed house and he likes a full house in heaven, but he likes it for his church too. Luke 14, 23, Jesus says this, then the master, this is representing God in this story here, told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes, and I like this terminology, and compel them to come in. And here's why, so that my house will be full. 
In other words, call him Danny Tanner because God loves a full house, baby. Come on, somebody. Everywhere you look. Don't make me sing. I'm not gonna do that. It's too early. It's too early. Were you singing with me in Bourbon though? Okay. So, so here's what you gotta know. Heaven is a crowded place and Jesus loves crowds. But that's amazing. I wanna tell you something that's even more amazing. Something that to me, I can't get over. is point number two, that Jesus sees you in the crowd. Crowds aren't just a means to an end. Jesus isn't just trying to boost his street cred and his numbers on social media. Jesus loves people and he sees people, not the pack. This is the way Jesus operates. So often when you'd look in the life and the ministry of Jesus, it would say very similar things. It would say, Jesus looked at the crowd and he had compassion on them. It broke his heart to see people who were hurting. He, he, he wanted to bring hope to people. And I don't know about you, but sometimes just because of the way that we work as human beings, it's really easy to disqualify ourselves from thinking that God, a God so big, would see us people so small. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just mind-bending to think that the God that made the heavens and the earth, that he thinks so highly of me, that actually the Bible says that I'm the apple of his eye and his thoughts can't even be measured or counted how many he thinks about me. There, there's this... This guy that my dad uh, grew up knowing, his name was Tim, and they went to the same Bible school. And Tim, he had a, a childhood that wasn't the greatest. And uh, he had a dad that wasn't very affirming. Maybe some of you can relate to this, but his dad rarely told him, I love you, rarely told him, I'm proud of you. And because of that, as you could imagine, he dealt with some insecurities and he dealt with some identity issues. And he eventually hears God calling him into ministry and and he's got all of these insecurities holding him back. He's not sure that God could use him in that way. Well, my dad, this one night, decides to go with Tim to this live recording of a preacher, a TV preacher. It's airing on TV, and there's hundreds of people in this room. And Tim, as the preacher starts preaching, he starts to have this inner dialogue with God. Have you ever done this? He's just having a conversation with God, and he's saying, God, I don't really think you can see me in this crowd. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's any way that you know me from the next person. There's any way that you have a specific plan or calling on my life. How could that be? And so a few more minutes of the message go by and Tim's just kind of sitting there missing it. And out of nowhere, the preacher stops and out of hundreds of people, the preacher points at Tim and the preacher says, Tim, I just wanna let you know, he didn't say his name, but he said, I wanna let you know that God loves you so much that he made me stop my message to let you know that he sees you and he's got a plan for your life and it's a big one. I think we ought to just for a second give it up for a God that sees us in the crowd. Man, that gets me excited. He sees us in the crowd. He sees people, not the pack. It reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood. I don't know what your issue is today, but can I just tell you that God's big enough to fix your issue? Whatever your issue is, Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the answer for your issue. And just to catch you up to speed, if you've never heard the story, there was this woman and she was struggling with this issue of blood. She couldn't stop bleeding. And of course, medicine wasn't very good in those days. And she, the Bible said she had exhausted every resource she had. She'd spent every last penny trying to find a cure and she was at the end of her rope. She had nowhere else to turn. And just side note, can we all acknowledge that those are the best moments to find Jesus? 
As a matter of fact, sometimes that's the, the only moment we can find Jesus is when we've exhausted every other resource. It's when we've tried every other thing and we start to realize the only answer and the only solution is Jesus. Now, when you read this passage in the Bible, you know what's crazy to me is it actually says Jesus was almost crushed by the crowd. Just to give you an idea of the enormity of the crowd, the frenzy that the crowd was worked into because the word was traveling fast that Jesus was a healer. Jesus was raising people from the dead, that he was giving sight to the blind. You could only imagine there were a lot of hurting people and they were all trying to get to Jesus. They were crowding around him, but this woman presses through in her desperation and she doesn't even touch Jesus. She just touches his skinny jeans. You know what I'm saying? Like she just gets a hold of something. But in that moment, she was healed of this affliction that had been with her for 12 years. And listen to what happens next. Luke 8, 45. Jesus says, who touched me? And I can just imagine a hush falling over this massive crowd. <laughs> and, and she's probably like a lot of us. She didn't want to stand out, right? And so no one stepped forward. But Peter said, Master, we've got crowds of people on our hands. Dozens have touched you. But listen to this, verse 46. Jesus insisted, no, 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 no. Someone touched me. I just love that we serve a God that sees the one. I love that Jesus sees us right there wherever we are in the crowd. And some of you came here today, some of you are on Facebook Live right now, and you have social anxiety, and you think God could never see me through this camera. And God just wanted me to tell you, he sees you right now, even in your hurting and even in your pain, and he's got better for you. Some of you have never heard one affirming word, have never been validated by one person, and today I just want you to know, God wants to be a father to the fatherless to you, and he sees you in the crowd. He's the God that leaves the 99 for the one person that is lost. I think we ought to just at every campus, real quick, just turn to the person next to us and just say this with some passion. Just say, Jesus sees us. Can you say it like you mean it? Say, Jesus sees us. Maybe just say it with your chest a little bit one more time. Jesus sees us. He does. Doesn't it feel good just to say that? Man, I just love that we serve a God that sees us. All right, so I fired through the first two because the third one is so important. And what I'm about to say in this third point, I cannot say it without you knowing that Jesus loves crowds and Jesus sees you in the crowd. Here's the third one. Jesus calls us out of the crowd. So often what Jesus would do is he would use these three words. He would say, come, follow me. And there were people from all walks of life, hurting in all kinds of different ways, broken from all kinds of different things. And every one of them would answer the call to come follow Jesus. Now let's just for a second think about this. I don't know about you, but crowds can do funny things to people. I mean, anybody that's ever been to a sporting event and seen people do ridiculous things in the presence of a crowd that they would never do in front of their TV screen, you know what I'm saying? Crowds can complicate things. And I never wake up in the morning and think, man, I wanna make waves today and I wanna go the opposite direction of everybody in my life. Crowds have this magnetic pull on us. They make us do silly things. Actually, I brought a little example to show you what I mean. Let's take a look at this video. To answer that question, we set up a hidden camera experiment to see if this woman would stand up at the sound of this tone, simply because everyone else is. You might be thinking you'd never go along with this, or would you? After just three beeps, and without knowing why she's doing it, this woman is now conforming perfectly to the group. 
But what happens if we take the group away? Elaine, please. Okay, now she's alone. The crowd is gone and nobody is watching her except our hidden cameras. What do you think she'll do? She's now conforming to the rules of the group without them even being there. Now, watch what happens when we introduce another outsider who doesn't know the rules. Have a seat and they'll be out in just a couple minutes. Thanks so much. Think she'll teach the new guy what to do? We kept the cameras rolling as more unsuspecting patients arrived. Slowly but surely, what began as a random rule for this woman has now become the social norm for everyone in this waiting room. Here to explain what's going on in their brains is Jonah Berger of the University of Pennsylvania. This sort of internalized form of herd behavior is part of what we call social learning. Starting at a very early age, when we see members of our group perform a task, our brains literally reward us for following in their footsteps. When I saw everybody stand up, I felt like I needed to join them. Otherwise, I'm like excluded. Once I decided to go with it, then I felt much more comfortable. Conformity is how we become socialized, but it can also cause us to develop bad habits or repeat past wrongs. And it's why even this rebel who wasn't standing for any of this nonsense, eventually joined the ranks. And the only thing more shocking than seeing how easily conformity affects the way you act is that similar forces are subconsciously shaping the way you think. Wow, man, I, that brings me so much joy on so many levels, you have no idea. And uh, everybody was doing it. <laughs> she actually said that. That's awesome. Now, how many of you are like, I would never cave. I would never stand. Just be honest here. I would totally cave. I think I would. Just, it, it would have been about two minutes, but I would have broken down. And, uh, but man, is there, is there any more perfect picture of what crowds can do? I mean, we don't even mean to sometimes, but we can just end up in places we didn't think we would. We end up doing things we never thought we would do because of crowds. And crowds can be a double-edged sword because here's the reality. I mean, for a lot of us, for a lot of us, crowds can actually influence us to do good things, right? Like, I think it's a good thing that we're in a crowd full of people that are for us this weekend. That's why on Connect Group Weekend at every location, it's a good thing to do life together with other people. 
those are all amazing things. But here, here's the challenge. When, when, we, when we base our relationship with God and following Jesus on the crowd, then when the crowd's there, we'll follow him. But when the crowd's not, we won't. And we're kind of like Peter. In one moment, we're defending Jesus and, and we're fighting for Jesus. But when we're surrounded by another crowd that's not for Jesus in a moment that's inconvenient, we'll deny him. And when we're at summer camp, students, and we're on this mountaintop experience and all of these God goosebumps are happening, then we'll give everything we've got to Jesus. But when all of that goes away and we're back in the locker room, we won't. There, there's this challenge that we, that we fight and we face as human beings. It doesn't mean you're a bad person, it just means you're human. And so we have to learn how to navigate through this. We have to learn how to see this for what it is. You know what I think this video is a perfect picture of? It's religion. It's how many of us, we show up to church just because everybody else is doing it, because it's the right thing to do. And depending on how traditional your church is, it might've looked kind of like that waiting room. We stand up and we sit down and we stand up some more and we sit down a little bit. And, and when everybody else sings, we sing. And when everybody else prays, we pray. But then we walk out unaffected. It's just a religious obligation. It's a religious duty. There's no personal connection with Jesus. And so often what starts to happen is we live our lives strictly out of emotion, out of what we're feeling in the moment. Can I tell you something? Here at Believer's Church, here's our, here's our passion. We love when people are fans of this church and fans of Jesus. That's a good thing. We love it that you leave church kind of feeling like, ah, that was a breath of fresh air. I would like some more. Sign me up for that. I wish service would have went a little bit longer today. We love that. We love having fans and we love people that make a relational connection and have friendships that they build in this place and community. That's all great. But can I tell you, if you cut us open, here's what we bleed. Thick and through, we are passionate about bringing you from fan to friend to a follower. And followers, they don't live by their feelings. Let me say it this way. Emotion will only keep you in motion for so long. And anybody that you know that lives out of their emotions, then the high, high moments are incredible. But when life hits them, and it always will, it's inevitable, they don't know what to do. And here's the scarier thing. Worse yet, emotion will have you going through the motions. And I don't know about you, but I've had plenty of moments of I'm being honest and transparent where I'm just showing up and just doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm missing out on a personal relationship a personal connection with Jesus, the same Jesus that saw me in the crowd and is calling me out, I fall right back in and I miss out on that. Can I tell you what our heart is at Believer's Church? We wanna create disciples. And disciples, they don't live out of emotion. There's a deeper word, there's a stronger word. It evokes more commitment. It's this word called devotion. A disciple lives out of devotion. I heard God say this week as I was heading into this message, some of us need to give emotion a demotion. Like we just need to start saying, hey, I'm not gonna live my life based out of how I feel or what people think about me or what people say because then I'll never follow what Jesus is calling me to do. And when you look at the life of Jesus, a lot of the sayings and the messages that Jesus preached that don't make the precious moment China coffee mug that you have in your cabinet, the Christian t-shirt, the bumper sticker, they're equally true. And Jesus equally said them, they're hard sayings of Jesus. Like, how about this one? Jesus would intentionally say things to thin out the crowd. He did this all the time. He'd say things like, hey, anyone who loves his father or his mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, did he say that you shouldn't love your mom and your dad? No way, no. 
but we don't love them more than Jesus. Because I can't tell you how many people started out on the journey and loved Jesus with all their heart, but their mom and their dad drew a line in the sand and they said, hey, if you're gonna serve Jesus, you're not gonna be a part of this family. And I've watched so many people fall in line with that. Pastor Joe was given that ultimatum. Before my grandpa ever knew Jesus, he said, hey, if you're gonna keep going to this church, when you come home today, my dad lived with his, his dad at the time. He said, when you come home today for Sunday dinner, all your stuff is gonna be on the front lawn. Can you imagine that? And so he, he drove home slowly, and, and as he tells the story, he said, now I knew my dad had enough common sense not to put her on the front lawn, because all the neighbors were gonna think something was up. So he got there, and there was nothing on the front lawn, but then he slowly walked around the back to see. He said, ah, uh-huh. and, but nothing was there, and he, and he came there, and his place was still at the dinner table, and they didn't talk to him for a little while, but they got over it, and eventually he was able to lead them to Jesus. And I'm just thankful, because this wouldn't be here today if he didn't take a stand and say, hey, even when the crowd is telling me to do the opposite, I have to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow him and to please him more than anyone else. How about this? This is after Jesus had one of the largest crowds he had ever gathered, easily 5,000 people, probably about 20,000 people with women and children included. Jesus walks away from this moment and he says something pretty intense. He says, hey, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Can you imagine, I mean, just putting myself in their shoes, probably be saying things like, hey, Jesus, I was cool with you until the whole cannibalism thing, but I'm just not sure if I can follow you there. And of course, he was talking about communion, but they didn't have a context for that. But you know, right after he said that, it's one of the most fascinating scriptures in all the Bible. It's John 6, 6, 6. Listen to what it says. Many disciples turned back and no longer followed him in that moment. This is Jesus we're talking about. How about this? Jesus met this man who was a rich, young ruler. He had everything you could ever want in culture and in society. And he says, hey, if you wanna be my disciple, you've gotta give away everything that you have and come follow me. And just time out for a second. Jesus encountered a lot of wealthy people and never told them to do that. But here's what he knew about the rich, young ruler. The rich, young ruler didn't have money. Money had him. And Jesus will constantly point out the thing in your heart that is occupying more space than him. He's constantly gonna challenge you and call you out of the crowd. This is how he works. I often wonder if Jesus were a pastor in 2019 of a church in America, how many of us would even attend this church? You know what I'm saying? It's a question worth asking, but Jesus is calling all of us out of the crowd and here's the bubble that we need to burst, that crowds validate our decision to follow Jesus or do the right thing. Can we all agree that there have been many moments in history where there were a lot of people, crowds of people doing something that was absolutely the wrong thing? Let me say it this way. Just because it's trending doesn't mean it's truth. We have to get to the point where Jesus has the final say in our life. Actually, he said it this way in Matthew 7, 13. He said, go in through the narrow door because the door is wide and the road is easy that leads to hell. Listen to this, many people, in other words, crowds of people are going through that door, but the door is narrow, the road is hard, that leads to life that lasts forever. Listen to this next part, few people are finding it. You know, it's awesome to watch people take a first step and to start, to be baptized, to to say, hey, I'm I'm gonna follow Jesus. That's incredible, we live for those moments. But ultimately, can I tell you what gets us way more excited? It's not starting, it's finishing. 
We, we want to have a church that is great at finishing. We want you to one day be able to stand before your maker. And when he says, what did you do with your life? Did you live your life for, for eternity or did you live your life for the here and now? We want you to be able to stand before God and say, I lived my life and I leveraged every moment for Jesus. And can I just tell you something? It's not perfect people who finish. It's faithful people who finish. And faithful people fall. Actually, the thing we tell everybody that's getting baptized every, every month, we tell them there's all kinds of ways to fall down, but there's only one way to stand up straight, and his name is Jesus. And so it's not if you're gonna make a mistake, it's not if you're gonna stumble, it's just faithful people fall and then they get back up. The Bible says that the righteous person falls seven times and every time he gets up. I just, I want that for you. That's our prayer for you. And I just wanna ask you, in your life, do you ever have moments where you stand out of the crowd? Do you ever have moments where you feel resistance from the culture around you? Where you look different and live different than the world? Because if you don't, then you might not have answered the call yet. It doesn't mean that we make waves and we're obnoxious and hard to get along with, but certainly, if we're gonna follow a countercultural God whose name was Jesus and turn the world upside down and our life looks even half like his did, our life is gonna look different than the world around us. Think about this, Jesus, started his ministry in a crowd, but he ended it on a cross. There were a lot of people around Jesus when everything started, but over time, as it led up to the cross, the crowds diminished. And could it be that that might be what he's calling all of us to walk through? So the question is, how do I know if I'm a disciple? Jesus actually said it this way, speaking of crosses, Luke 9, 23, then he said to the crowd, he's talking to a large crowd of people and he's revealing the standard. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Or another way that uh, an interpretation says is deny yourself and listen to this and take up your cross and follow me. Can I tell you how you know if you're truly a disciple? It's not perfection, but it's this question every day. Have I transferred ownership to Jesus? is Jesus in the driver's seat. Because if my life belongs to me and I'm making the decisions and I'm calling the shots, then I haven't fully answered the call to follow Jesus. This is, this is the path that he's calling every one of us on. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He's a German martyr. Before he was martyred, he made this statement. He said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. And I don't know if there's ever been a truer statement made. I could put it this way, salvation is the moment where Jesus gives you life, but discipleship is the moment you give your life back to Jesus. And you say, hey, I'm willing to follow you no matter where you lead. I'm gonna daily pick up my cross and follow you. So I just wanna ask you, every one of us are in a different place today, but at Boardman in TCI and here in Warren, can I just ask you a simple question? Are you ready to answer the call as Jesus calls you out of the crowd? And what's next for you? And for some of us, the next step is, is really simple. The next step is, is salvation. It's entrusting your life to Jesus. I'm gonna give you a chance to do that in a moment. Some of you are taking the next step with baptism today. Some of you, you need to get baptized and God's been dealing with you to do that and now's your time. Today is the day. How about this one? Some of you, you've been kind of going from one church to the next 
And every time you get there, there's something that pops up. There's, there's a hurt feeling that happens. There's a broken relationship and you haven't grown roots down in a church. And this is why Hebrews 10, 24 says, hey, don't forsake gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more as Christ's return approaches, you've got to gather together with other people because the more alone you are, the less alive you are. You need to build people into your life and relationships, people that can be honest with you and encourage you and be with you and know your name when you're missing and come looking for you. You need that in your life. That might be your next step. For some of you, it's, it's a relationship. Like, like for some of you, God might be calling you out of the crowd at your school. And there's some people that you've been hanging with and, and they're good people, they're nice people, but they're not Jesus followers and you're connected to them in an unhealthy way. And every week you come home and you're so ashamed because you ended up in places you never thought you would be and you've got that hangover and those feelings and those emotions and you're like, how did I get here again? And all that God's asking you to do is just come out of the crowd, come follow me, get plugged in with some people that love Jesus or head in, in the same path. Some of you, it's that simple. I don't know what Jesus is calling you out of, but can I tell you what he's calling you into? It's a life that's so much greater than what you're living now. And it's so worth it what's on the other side. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but as we close, I just want you to ask this simple question. What was it that compelled the disciples of Jesus to leave the comfort of their lives and to follow this man that was crucified? Because I want you to remember this, for most of us in American Christianity, the cross is simply the world's biggest plus sign. And when we look at the cross, we just think of all the benefits and all the advantages. Jesus is a good deal. You hear people say that. And I'm, I'm not downplaying the fact that Jesus did a whole lot of amazing things for us. It's amazing grace for a reason. Forgiveness of sins is incredible. All of those things are incredible, but it's not why we serve Jesus. And I just, I put myself in, in that place those disciples, man, when they would go and publicly identify with Jesus through baptism, at the very least, you know what they were signing up for? Persecution. People might not patronize their business as much as they did before if they identified with him in front of the whole town. And at the very worst, it could be imprisonment. Maybe even beyond that, it could be death. So many of the disciples had a similar death to Jesus. So what was compelling them to follow Jesus? When he said, come and follow me, what did, what did they have to gain by that? I'm convinced of this one thing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and it hasn't even entered into the thoughts or the hearts of man, the good things that God has in store for those who love him. In other words, the life that they were giving up paled in comparison to, to the life that they were gonna receive in Jesus. It's why John 10, 10 says that the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, no, 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 I came to give you life and life to the fullest. It's life. And I want you to just think about this. It's really hard to die for a lie. There were so many disciples that decided I'm gonna give up my life for this thing. And I don't know too many people that would die for a cover up. There was something that they had seen, something that they had witnessed, something eternal that was beyond this temporal existence and all the things that they could touch, something they knew deep down inside was bigger than all of it. So here's what I'm gonna invite you to do today. I'm gonna invite every person at each campus to take a step. And uh, before we go any further, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. For some of you, this is just, this is the best news that Jesus sees you You've dealt with insecurity and inferiority and identity issues your whole life. And today, I just wanna, I wanna tell you, Jesus wants to redefine your identity. 
He wants you to be found in him and who you are in Christ. Some of you have been far away from God and when you were younger, you served him, but you veered off. And Jesus is just saying, just come follow me. It's worth it. I've got better for you. Some of you have never heard this before and this is gonna be your moment. I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer. You know, Jesus said that it's a hard road and it's a narrow gate. You know what he ultimately said about himself? He said, I'm the gate and I'm the door. There's no one that can come to the Father in heaven except through me. I, I am the resurrection in the life. This is the message of the gospel. And he made it really simple. He said, if you believe in your heart and you say with your mouth that I'm Lord, you'll be saved. You can have a confidence that you're on your way to a place called heaven. But here's what's way cooler than that. That's amazing. But he actually wants to bring heaven into your here and now. He wants to help walk through every situation because he doesn't promise a problem-free existence. He promises that he'll walk you through every problem in your life and you can have a hope. So I'm just gonna lead you in a simple prayer. And if you mean this from the bottom of your heart, there's a miracle that takes place on the inside of you. Can you help church repeat this after me? Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he sees me in the crowd that he has a plan for me, that he has a purpose for my life. And today, I choose to follow him. I won't look back. I give you my life. I call you Lord. I call you Savior. I am a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.